You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we look to this particular passage, Father, we, we remember and we're mindful of Peter's words that says that Paul writes things that are hard to understand. And Father, we also recognize as we come to understand these words, they are also, uh, especially for us in the West, in our uh, rugged individualistic uh, mindset, uh, these words are hard for us to digest. So, Father, we do ask and we do pray, Father, that you would give us grace this morning, Lord, to follow you wherever your word leads us. Give us grace, O Father, that our resistance to these things would would come down. That our hearts would be softened, O Father, and that we would be willing to embrace that which you've given us. So, Father, uh, to these ends, we pray in Jesus name. Amen. And amen. This is a, I was thinking this morning as you were all coming in, you know, it's Mother's Day and everything, and I didn't plan it this way, but this is a particularly dark uh, passage of Scripture. And uh, please, uh, ladies, I'm not trying to suggest anything by choosing a dark passage of Scripture for Mother's Day. That uh, We just simply come to the next passage in the text. So uh, that having been said, there's going to be a public stoning right after the service probably. Um, all kidding aside, there, this, is a, this is a particularly dark passage of Scripture. Uh, but it is indeed a very enlightening passage of Scripture. All week long, as I was thinking about how to introduce uh, these words, I was thinking about all of the songs that we hear on the radio all the time uh, from people that are of all kind of different backgrounds uh, making comments about something being wrong with the world. You can think of Steven Tyler of Aerosmith. He says something's wrong with the world today, and I don't know what it is. Or we might think of John Mayer. Some of us are I'm looking around for the John Mayer fans. There may be a couple, but a couple of them are missing right now. Uh, but John Mayer's waiting for the world to change. It's a song you hear on the radio all the time. Or one of my personal favorites, Eric Clapton, he says, uh, if, if, I, if I could change the world. And some of you are probably thinking of songs, and we could just continue going on and on and on. And it's, it's, it reflects that it's universally accepted. Something's wrong. Yeah, now Stephen Tyler says he's not sure what it is, and uh, I think without the the uh, the enlightenment of God's word, well, then we would all have to answer with him, wouldn't we? What is it? We would have each have our ideas of what it might be, uh, but here the the apostle Paul 
is giving us a, a really thorough analysis of what's wrong with the world here. He's not speaking so much of the origins of evil. I'm not going to get into that this morning. Uh, that's not really what this. The, that's not really the freight that this text is carrying. But if you normally I do this kind of at the end, but let me do it at the beginning. If you're asking the question, okay, what is uh, verses 12 through 14, or for that matter, verses 12 through 21 doing here? Uh, what what role does this particular passage play in Paul's overall argument in Romans? What Paul actually is doing is he's beginning to give us the basis for the things that he has been saying. If we think of this as the basis or the foundation of the things he's been saying. Now, we have some visitors in the room this morning who haven't heard all of these, uh, many of these messages. You know, if you turn back to chapter one, where Paul begins to give what we've been calling the bad news of the gospel. In verse 18, Paul says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Many of us uh, are pr- prone to think the way that I used to think. I used to think that, that uh, saving belief in God was a philosophical issue. It was just a matter of philosophy. Some people embraced the philosophy. Some people didn't. But the Bible makes it very clear that to believe or not to believe actually is a moral issue. It's a moral issue. And uh, unbelief is something that really agitates the Lord. And we begin to see this in verse 18 all the way through chapter 3 and verse 20. And even when we get to chapter 3 and verse 23, where we see all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we have all of these passages, all of these verses that are where Paul is saying, listen, uh, it's a mess. It's a real, real mess. And in chapter 5, verse 12, he begins to give us the reason why it's such a mess. You'll notice in verse 12, we start with that word, therefore, Of course, that's calling us back to what was there before. He says, therefore, just as sin came into the world. Here we encounter this word sin. And I don't think in any of the messages, I think this is maybe the 21st or 22nd message that I've preached in Roman. I don't think that I've really said a whole lot about the word sin. I think this would be a good place to begin uh, here we find this word sin, and, and those who've been studying the catechism, you, you, you know the answer. To, you know, if we ask what is sin, you're, you're rattling off that catechism question and answer right now, right? I mean, it's on the tip of your tongues, I'm sure, uh, given the sharp memories that we all have here in the room. Um, all kidding aside, you know, sin is any want of conformity to um, or transgression of the will of God. And here there's a positive side to it and there's a negative side to it. Uh, Sin is any want of conformity. So, you know, if we're told to honor the Lord, for instance, uh, or if we might think of the third commandment, which we were studying Wednesday night, um, you know, the third commandment where we're to um, glorify God's name, where the commandment reads negatively, we're not to take the Lord's name in vain. And a lot of times we'll think of that commandment. Okay, that commandment's speaking of profanity, where the Lord's name is used in profanity. And of course, that is one application. Uh, But 
one thing maybe we don't have a tendency to think of is that there's a positive side of this. We're not just to take the Lord's name in vain. Okay, that's the negative side. But we're actually to glorify his name. That's the positive side. So there's a negative and there's a positive to all these laws. And sin is any one of conformity to uh, to the, the commandment, whether we're, we're, we're taking the Lord's name in vain or we're not properly glorifying him the way that we should. And of course, uh, we might, we might um, be proud of the fact that we do not use the Lord's name in vain. And we can think, therefore, we don't break the third commandment. Uh, but yet, let's ask ourselves this question. Do we honor God the way he should be honored all the time? And of course, the answer to that is no. So here we are violating the third commandment on a routine and regular basis. Now, of course, sin is, uh, uh, would, would uh, uh, be this uh, violation. But uh, we're going to make a distinction this morning between sin and transgression which is going to, we're going to need to make that distinction in order to understand what's going on in this passage. Uh, we are told by our passage here in verse 12 that sin has come into the world and that it has come into the world through what? Through one man. Now, who would be this man? Uh, the man, of course, is Adam, correct? I mean, the context tells us that, but we would know that uh, even having read Genesis 3, we would know this already. And just a few things here, a few uh, observations before we move on. I think this would be an important time for us to talk about. Uh, a, there's an important, there's, an, there, there's a common uh, belief out there that's taught in many places that Adam was only a mythological character. Has anybody ever heard that? Where Adam, it was not a real, I've seen quite a few heads bouncing up and down, where those will advocate that Adam uh, of Genesis, the first man who was ever created, wasn't a real human being. Uh, he, he is a mythological character, if you will. This is taught in a lot of places, in a lot of seminaries. In fact, some of you were at our uh, presbytery meeting, and you got to hear one of our students of theology give, a, uh, give his presbytery sermon. And uh, the following day at the meeting, that same fellow was, uh, was uh, examined on the floor of presbytery. And one of, the, uh, one of the pastors in the room asked the student of theology if he believed Adam to be a real historic character. Now, of course, he answered in the affirmative that he believed Adam was indeed a real human being who was created by God, the first human being, and uh, I was relieved to hear him say that. I will tell you this, if he would have said no to that, I would have objected to his being licensed to preach. It's that important of an issue. It's that important of an issue. In fact, I would even go as far to say that salvation hinges on this. And we're going to see as we study verses 12 through 21 that uh, Paul is, of, of course, treating Adam as if he is a real human being. Uh, and this is done in many places. In fact, if, uh, uh, if, you, if you survey the Bible, if you look at some of the genealogies, if you turn to Luke, for instance, if you turn to Luke chapter 3 for a moment, let me just labor on this point for a couple of minutes. 
In Luke chapter 3, beginning with verse 23, we have the genealogy of Jesus. You know, it's one of those passages where you're reading along and you get to all these names and you have a tendency to skip all of this stuff and move on until you get to the narrative again. Has anybody ever done that? Well, these actually are quite important, these genealogies. And aside from all of the names, there, there's many of which are, are strange to us. If you skip all the way to the end, I won't read the whole thing for sake of time this morning. Uh, if you read towards the end, if you, let, let's say, let's pick up at verse 36. Uh, son of Canaan, son of Arphaxad, son of Shem. Okay, there's a, there's a name that might be familiar to us, Shem. Son of Noah, certainly Noah is, is, uh, is a name that is uh, recognizable to us. Was Noah a real life character? Well, he, he built the ark, correct? Um, son of Lamech, son of Methuselah. He is reputed to be the oldest man who ever lived, a real life human being. Son of Enoch, he walked with God and was no more. God took him. He was a real human being. Son of Jared, son of Mahaliel, son of Canaan, son of Enos, son of Seth, son of who? Son of Adam, a real live human being. And then if you turn to Acts, Acts being right between Luke and Romans, and if you turn to Acts 17, it's just another example of where Adam is taken as a real human being. Paul is addressing the philosophers in Athens. Verse 22, he stands in the midst of the Areopagus, which is a place where people could speak, kind of an arena, if you will, where public speaking took place. He says, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious, for as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. Verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And now look at verse 26. And he made from what? One man, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Now I'm pointing this to you because advocates of this mythological view will say, listen, this is what they'll say. They'll say, Adam means man. The, Adam actually is a Hebrew name, Adam. It means man, or it could mean mankind. So you see, uh, we don't have to translate this as uh, a real human being. We could translate this as humankind. Now, is that correct? Well, given the context, that could be very much correct. And... They'll furthermore, they'll say, listen, Adam is just a symbol. The Garden of Eden is just a symbol. Uh, the serpent coming into the garden and tempting Eve and tempting Adam, it's, it's all symbols. You know, the tree of life is a symbol. All of this is symbolic. Now, are, are there things in the Bible that are symbolic? To that we answer yes. But what determines what is symbolic from what is not symbolic? And it's the context. 
So this is kind of a second biblical interpretation principle that I've been that I've been uh, introducing uh, over the last few months is that whatever interpretation we come to in a in a particular passage has to be able to stand under the scrutiny of the rest of Scripture. If all we have is a couple of sentences of Scripture, okay. Could we come to the conclusion that Adam is merely a mythological figure? We actually could, yes. So let's grant our opponents that. But when that interpretation is placed under the scrutiny of the rest of the word of God, we, we can no longer have that, uh, as we're going to see in Romans 5, and as we see in Acts 17, and as we see in Luke uh, chapter 3 in the genealogy. So I want you to understand that, because if you talk to somebody and you haven't heard these things before, you can get really quite rattled talking with them. Um, so I'm just trying to prepare you for that, should that day come. Back to Romans 5, and verse 12. So here we say, just as sin came into the world through one man. So we're, we're, where did sin come from? How did sin? Sin has come into the world through one man. Let's say a few other things about sin that we get from the larger context here. Uh, sin has not only come into the world, but sin actually has a grip on us. If you look at uh, uh, verse 7, for example, of chapter 6, for one who has died has been set free from what? Set free from sin. Here, this idea of being set free. Um, through these passages, we'll see that sin is likened to slavery. Um, if you look down to verse uh, 17, where Paul praises God, chapter 6, verse 17, he says, Thanks be to God that you who were once what? Slaves of sin. I think a good watermark to have in our minds as we read these verses is the Exodus, the Exodus story. And you know what I mean by watermark? You know, you have a page and, and there's a picture on the page that's lightened to the degree that you can see other things on the page, but you still see the, the mark, the indication. And I think it's good for us to have the Exodus story as a watermark in our minds as we read these things. What's going on in the Exodus story? What do I mean by the Exodus story? Israel is in Egypt. And they've been forced into slavery by Pharaoh. Are they able to get free in and of themselves? No. They can't break free. All they can do is keep doing what they're being made to do. And that is, sin is likened to that in many ways. Are we able to break free from it in and of our own will, in and of our own power? The answer is no. The answer is no. It has this grip on us that will not let go. We cannot break free. It's as if we're enslaved. But it goes a little further than that. It's not as if we're enslaved against our will. In our natural state, the funny thing about the sin is we don't want free from it. We want free from the consequences of it. I mean, I can't tell you how many people have come to me and said, man, I'd like to talk. And I start to talk with them and they're, they're, they're you know, they're all tangled up in something. And as I begin to talk, uh, you know, a lot of people the only thing that's really bothering them is the consequences of what they've gotten into. The, the, the morality of what they've gotten into isn't even coming up. It's just the consequences of what they've gotten themselves into. 
So I'll start suggesting, well, let's, let's talk about the morality of this. Is this, has this been a good course of action? Has this been a right course of action? What does this look like in God's eyes? You see, as God begins to work on a heart, he begins to open up our hearts to see the morality of the issue, not just the consequences of the issue. Does that sound clear enough? Am I being clear? But the point here is, as we think about what's wrong with this world, sin has come into this world, and sin has come into this world through Adam, and sin has a grip on humanity to such an extent that we can't break free and that we don't even really want to break free. Now, I'm not suggesting that we're as bad as we can be, but I am suggesting that we're bad. Because that's the biblical data, isn't it? If we were suddenly aligned up against the straight edge of God's perfection, it is really black. And we actually don't begin to see how black it is until we begin to look at the perfection of God. But as soon as we begin, and then that's why I said in my pastoral prayer, one sight of God changes it all. One little sight of God changes it all. Think of Isaiah. In, uh, in Isaiah 6, he sees in his vision the Lord seated upon the throne. And just one sight of the Lord seated upon the throne causes him to cry out, <laughs> Woe is me, for I'm undone. I am a man of what? Unclean lips. By seeing God in his perfections, it actually reminds us of our imperfections. And it's not until we see him this way that we begin to realize how bad it is. And the fact of the matter is, left to our own devices, we don't even really want out. We just, if we can have our little heaven in this mess, we're quite content. If we can make it as much like heaven in this mess, we're quite content. Without God's work of grace, we don't even want out. Now, uh, as if that isn't hard enough, there's a few other things that become even more difficult here for us. And being as I'm stepping into it this morning, I might as well go all the way in. Um, so there's no sense in turning back now, is there? We're told that sin came into the world through one man. And if you read, the, if you read Genesis 3, you'll see that actually Eve is the one who is tempted uh, first, is she not? The serpent comes to Eve. Some of you are smiling, you know where I'm going. Yeah, I know. Eve is tempted. She is deceived. She takes of the fruit, the forbidden fruit, and she eats. And then she gives some to her husband. And then he eats. Now, a question we might ask, we might scratch our chin and say, wait, why, why isn't Eve being blamed here? How come she isn't being blamed? Why is Adam being blamed? It's because it was on Adam's watch. And this is one of the many places that teach that, listen, fellas, we are, we are spiritually responsible for our households. One of these days, the Lord will hold us account for being the spiritual watchmen and leaders of our household. This was on Adam's watch. Eve, nowhere in the scriptures, is blamed for the fall of humanity. Eve is said to have been deceived. Adam is blamed for the fall of humanity. At a seminary professor used to say it this way, Adam should have seized that snake and snapped its neck. I would say at the very least, he should have grabbed his wife and hightailed it out of there. He should have been leading. He should have been watching. Instead, he went right with her. So we see that just as sin came into the world through one man, 
We'll hold on to that. We're going to return to that here in a few minutes because it's even gets even it even gets a little worse than that before we get done. Then it gets better. Sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. If you look at Romans six, the very last word of Romans six. Verse 23, that is for the wages of sin is what? The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Okay, when sin shows up, what follows? As sin comes into the world, death comes into the world. How awful is death? As we think about how awful death is, it should remind us of how awful sin is. As sin came into the world through one man, death through sin, and so death spread to all men. Because all sinned. Now, this last phrase, because all sinned, could be taken two ways. If all we had was verse 12, we could say, okay, I think I got it. Um, Sin has come into the world through Adam's disobedience in the garden. And death has come through that sin. So death spread to all men because we have followed in Adam's example. And some will take the passage to read that way. And if all we had was verse 12, I would say, yeah, that that would be uh, that would be. uh, Yeah, that I think that would be a, a possible interpretation of that. But if you'll notice the verse, many of you will have like a hyphen or a dash, if you will, at the end of verse 12. You notice that the reason for that is verse 12 is not a complete sentence. It's almost like. The Apostle Paul, he gives us verse 12 and then he stops and he and he says, wait a second, let me qualify that. And he gives us these parenthetical, if you will, kind of in a parenthesis. If you can envision a parenthesis at verse 13 and another one at the end of verse 17, and you can envision verses 13 through 17 over here in parentheses. And if you look at verse 12 and you kind of skip the parentheses and you go right to verse 18, you'll see the sentence is completed there in verse 18. Let me read it. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Verse 18, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men, and etc. So in your mind, put parentheses, a parentheses, even if you have your own Bible with you, it might even be helpful to take a pencil and put a parentheses there in verse 13. And one there in verse 17 will help you to remember. Otherwise, we can get quite lost and and say, goodness, what in the world is being said here? Now, one interpretation of verse 12 can say, okay, sin has come into the world through Adam. Death has followed and death has spread to all men because all followed in Adam's example. We'll leave that as one interpretation. But there's another interpretation. And I would suggest it is the correct interpretation of this verse, and I'll show you why. It would go this way. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned when Adam sinned. When Adam sinned in the garden, all humanity sinned with him. Some of us say, wait a second, I wasn't even in the garden. I never seen the garden. 
You're going to tell me that I sinned with Adam in the garden that I've never seen? Yes. That's exactly what's being said here. Someone will say, okay, that's uh, all right. You're going to have to show me this one, Rick. Okay, look at verse 13. Paul says, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. That's his first argument. Second, sin is not counted where there is no law. Third, verse 14, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. Third argument. And we say, okay, well, there's three arguments there, but that isn't helping me much. Okay, let me, let me flesh out these three arguments. First, verse 13, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. Okay, what is Paul saying? Paul's saying is ever since Genesis 3, when Adam rebelled against God, sin has been in the world. It's been in the world ever since then, before the law was given. In other words, between the time of Adam and the time of Moses giving the law, it's a large span of time. Moses lived most likely around 3,500 years ago. When did Adam live? I don't know. Uh, we don't, we're not given any kind of time reference. That's, that's an unknown to us. We don't know how many years ago. Some say 6,000, some say 10,000, some say other. I, I don't know how, how long it's been since Adam dwelt this earth. But what I can say is there's a large section of time between Adam and Moses' giving of the law. And during that time, sin reigned in the world. That's the first argument. Okay, sin is reigning in this world. Okay, now look at the second argument. Sin is not counted where there is no law. If there were no speed limits along the road, and you were going down the road, and someone pulled you over, and said, listen, do you know why I pulled you over? No, you were going too fast. You're actually going 35 miles an hour when you should have been going 25 miles an hour. Would you be guilty? No. How do you know you're supposed to go 25 miles an hour? There are no speed limits. So you see, there's no transgression without a speed limit. Now, if there's a speed limit, it says 25 and you're going 35 and you're pulled over and say, do you know why I pulled you over? You probably have some idea. Yeah, I saw the 25, I was going 35. It's probably why you pulled me over. That's a transgression. You remember earlier I said, we need to make a distinction between sin and transgression. What is sin? Uh, let's use the same example I used in an earlier message. Let's, let's pretend we're all kids. We're all children. And we're out playing in the yard and something provokes our curiosity and we want to get into it. But we've never been told we couldn't get into it. But yet we kind of have this uh, kind of feeling like we probably shouldn't get into it. And we go ahead and do it anyway. Okay, that would be a sin. Our, our conscience is bearing witness to us that we shouldn't do it, but we went and did. We never were told we shouldn't do it. But we kind of had this feeling like, you know, we probably shouldn't. Okay, that would be sin. But a transgression, let's suppose we're playing in the yard and something gets our curiosity and we want to do it. And that something is something that we have been told by mom and dad that we are not to get into. And we go ahead and do it anyway. There, you see, there's a heightened sense of culpability because we are 
we are breaking a known commandment. Now, Adam in the Garden of Eden, when he rebels against God, he is breaking a known commandment, is he not? And sin enters the world. Now, as the as the 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 generations move on and on and people scatter all over the world. God hasn't given any law. He hasn't given the law of Moses. And even when he does give the law of Moses, he gives it to the nation of Israel. He doesn't give it to all of the nations. And let's suppose that we have uh, members of the household of Israel with us who have the law of God and the rest of us, we've never had the law of God. Now, those who have the law of God and violated are guilty of committing transgressions. It's a heightened sense. We're going to study this when we get down to verses 20 and 21. I'm just giving you a, a kind of a preview of that. If we have the law of God and we violate it, it's much worse than if we're just violating our own conscience. And that's what Paul's pointing to here. He's saying, listen, sin was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there's no law. Verse 14, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. Everybody who lived between Adam and Moses eventually died. That's the point. Why would that be, Paul's asking? Why would that be? He says, he says, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. You see. Well, the explanation is that when Adam sinned against God, a, an event, let's think of it as an event, an event took place that brought this world into the realm of sin and death. What is wrong with the world today? It is the realm of sin and death. That is what is wrong with the world today. Let me give you further further. Um, uh, a few verses that, that I think clench the nail on this. If you just continue down in verse 15, uh, Paul says the free gift is not like the trespass. He says, if many died through one man's trespass, you see that many died through one man's what? Trespass. If you go to verse 16, the free gift is not like the result of one man's sin for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, condemnation for you, condemnation for all. If you go to verse 17, because of one man's trespass, death reigned. If you go down to verse 18, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification. So here we see by Adam sinning in the garden, he has brought condemnation for all men. If you look at verse 19, for as by one man's disobedience, the many were what? Were made sinners. What does this mean? This means that we're all guilty for a sin that Adam committed. Now, this isn't a problem for many people in, in the world, um, but for us, I think, we say, well, this just doesn't sound fair. Does this sound fair to everybody who's here? You say, I'm being held accountable for a sin that I didn't commit. Uh, yeah. And we say, well, that doesn't sound fair. Well, our idea of fairness and our idea of justice is not God's idea of fairness and justice. But this principle comes up in Scripture. And we need to understand that there are many people in the world that don't have a problem with this. This is particularly a problem for us who are in the West. For example, some of us know the story of David and Goliath, right? Who is Goliath? 
He's this mighty Philistine warrior who's taunting the armies of Israel. And he's, he's, basically they're taunting him this. They're saying, listen, I'm going to fight your strongest man. You send out your strongest man. I'm going to fight him. Whoever wins this battle is going to decide the fate of the entire nation, is it not? If Goliath wins, then, the, then, then Israel becomes subject to, to the Philistines. But if Israel can send someone out who can win, then the Philistines are going to become subject to Israel. So the fate of either nation comes down to one representative. And no one had a problem with that. That sounded, that sounded fine. And that's the way it is here. The fate of humanity, of humanity comes down to its representative. What is wrong with the world today? Our representative. You see, what is wrong with the world today is an event took place in history. An event took place in history where our representative failed and broke covenant with God in the garden. And when he did so, we were all guilty. The world became the realm of sin and death. You want proof of that? Everyone is everyone. Everyone will eventually die. Is that correct? Unless the Lord returns in our lifetime, we also will follow that path. Now, that's the dark news. That's the bad news. The good news. I don't want to just leave. We're not really going to get into a lot of it. That's verses 15 and onward. But the good news is another event has taken place in history. Another event. And we need to think of it that way. And what was that event? That event was the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, just like Israel, Israel called on the Lord because they could not. You see, we need that watermark in the back of our minds. It's so helpful. It's such a helpful illustration. Israel calls out to God. They need free. They need free from Pharaoh. They need free from from the slavery they're in. And who delivers them? God delivers them. But see, our situation's even worse. We're not even calling. It's so bad that we don't even call. We just want rid of these consequences, you know. If the consequences weren't so bad, we'd probably get along with this all just fine. It's the consequences that we really left to ourselves that we want rid of. But God in his goodness and in his mercy and his grace has brought another event, a second event that has changed everything. And that event is the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ Jesus. Because by way of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, I won't go into all the details because this is enough for one morning, but as the result of that event, a new realm has come to be. And it's the realm of righteousness and life. And the only way to be saved from this world is to be extracted from the realm of sin and death and to be brought into the realm of righteousness and life. If we could have, this is a hypothetical, it's not possible for us, but if we could have lived our lives having never committed a sin, we would still be guilty because of Adam's. But it's not possible for us. You ever wonder why it's so universal? 
What is wrong with the world today? Why is everybody so sinful? It's universal, isn't it? It's because we're born into this realm of sin and death. But the good news of Christ Jesus, the good news that we've been praising God for and singing songs to, the good news of this is Christ has come and extracted us, even when we weren't asking him to. We weren't asking him to. He intruded in our lives and he extracted us out of that realm of sin and death and brought us into the realm of righteousness and life. And that is salvation, isn't it? It's the removal from one realm into the next. Have you been brought in? Are you confident this morning that you're no longer dwelling in the realm, even though we're living in it? Are you confident this morning you're no longer dwelling in the realm of sin and death? Have you brought in, been brought into the realm of righteousness and life? That's enough for this morning, you think? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Father, that you've loved us so much that you've given us this analysis of what is wrong with the world today. And Father, we see everyone who, everyone who believes your word can, can see that, Father, the, the sin of Adam has brought us into this realm of sin and death. It is universal, Father. We know that universally we all sin. And we know that universally we will all eventually perish unless you return during our lifetimes. And we see, Father, that we are born into this realm of sin and death. And, oh, Father, we thank you that you have loved us so much that you have given us a Savior that by the work of Christ going to the cross, which we will study in coming, upcoming messages, that you have ushered us, you have come, and you have extracted us from the realm of sin and death and into the realm of righteousness and life. And Father, we recognize that we are brought forth from the realm of sin and death and into the realm of righteousness and life by faith, by believing in you, O Father. And we thank you. By believing in you and believing in what you have done in Christ Jesus, we can enjoy the realm of righteousness and life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.